chapters. It's a good, long gospel. Sometimes get our teeth stuck into it and we're trying to do that. And uh, as we say, we're only in chapter 3. We've got lots to look forward to as we discover more about the Lord Jesus, his mission, his purpose, and also our hope in that. <coughs> I've been singing, and I was, my phone was actually going in that last, last line. So I've drunk one cup of water, and I'm going to go to the other, so it's okay. <coughs> I, uh, for those of you who haven't bought me a birthday present, my birthday was only just past this lane in on the 17th of November. Um, I have got some presents already being given to me, uh, so it's never too late. So I've got that one in. But one of my presents, one of my presents was... Um, Man of Steel DVD. Has anybody seen Man of Steel the film, the movie? Lovely. Right, okay. Go on, you, Hannah, have you done it? You can't remember it. Okay, well, I presume a lot of you guys wouldn't know it. I absolutely love it. Man of Steel is about the popular story of Superman. And, okay, Hannah's nodding now. Yes, Superman. And it's a wonderful film. It's really good. The special effects are amazing. Actually, Steel, though he actually is flying. There's lots of explosions, lots of fights, lots of bombs, and all these weird things going on. But there is actually content in it too. Uh, and which is quite unusual for a modern movie, I know. <coughs> but there's one particular piece of content that um, I just wanted to look at, because when I was watching it just a couple of days ago, it struck me a little bit. You see, we all know the story of Superman, surely. So Superman is delivered to Earth via Krypton, um, from Krypton to Earth. And he's raised as a, from a baby to a, uh, to a man by his parents out in the, in the, the field. And so that's all wonderful. But there is a concern of his father, and it says this in the film, he, that as the boy is growing up and discovering he's got these amazing powers, he can run faster than any child. He can lift things that other people can't lift. But his father says, son, you have to bury this. You have to keep this secret. And this is a theme which carries on until towards um, as he reaches adulthood. Just keep this secret. I mean, why does he ask him to keep it secret? Because the thing is that he is concerned when they discover that this boy is a super boy, that he can do things that no other human can is a scary thought. He warns um, Clark that if the world finds out who you are, you'll be rejected. You will be feared because they can't control you. And so Clark obeys his father. He actually says, as you, you know, I'll do as you say, I understand that. And then there's later scenes when uh, the uh, I can't even remember the name the, the, uh, the enemies of Superman come to take him away, and they said, "Deliver to us 
He's nothing to share about what I'm not going to share about. If he's someone who cannot guarantee the cause, he's someone that we're not going to shout about. But here he's saying, dear philosophy, look at the Lord Jesus Christ. He is unstoppable. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. Looking through, looking through a one-way mirror is nothing to Jesus. Watch out, he will create you heavens and earth. Amen. Take a look at this God. Well, we're getting to our passage now, you see. And I just want to say that as we as we go through the next 20 or so minutes, that we'll look at it in three parts. Okay? Well, <coughs> if you look down there, if you have your Bibles with you, that's great. We're looking particularly at verses 21 and 22. Okay? First part will be looking at what is Luke has laid out as a precursor of introducing this particular theme. And then we'll actually see in two other parts both the anointing and desperation. So John the Baptist has been preaching for forgiveness, uh, repentance and forgiveness. And now Jesus comes on the scene. I'm going to read actually the two verses again from the ESV. If you have your ESV, that's great, but it's not too different from the NIV. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. Thank you, word. It's like, at this point, Luke is trying to show us Jesus alive. Like a tsunami, you know, when, the, when a tsunami's coming, the water's brought back, revealing everything that we there. And it feels like Luke is doing that here as well. We just, um, I included in the reading a little bit about Herod uh, imprisoning John. Well, the other gospel goes a little bit further on. It doesn't happen quite yet. But it seems that Luke wants to separate the ministry of John and the, the ministry of Jesus. Somewhere else in Luke, it does say that now amongst, amongst all those that are born of a woman, there's none greater than John. And so John is it's a massive character. You can't underestimate that. But John is not Jesus. And it looks like Luke's saying, no, okay, John is great. And I think people know about John being great. I just want to put him aside. I just want to take him aside now, and I want to show you the Lord Jesus. You see, it says, now when all people were baptized, I know in the NIV it says when all people were being baptized, but the actual sense of the verse is actually when all people were baptized. When it's, it's a job done. Of course, John's ministry carried on, but it's, it's like Luke saying, no, it's all, all done and dusted. His baptism was finished. Now we've got the Lord Jesus. See, John is great. Both from the kingdom of God, as well as from him. And yet this is the Lord Jesus. It talks about not only all being baptized, but it talks about Jesus being baptized too. But if you take a look at other accounts of this particular event, you'll see that like Matthew will talk a little bit more about Jesus being baptized and what it actually meant and, and, and what was going on at those particular instances. There are a few more verses dedicated to it. 
But it says here, it says, when Jesus also has been baptized. He's put it in there because it's important. But it's not the point that Luke wants to make. And so he's keeping things brief to get us to the main point. So this is part of that precursor. He's saying, okay, John's ministry, out of the way. Jesus' baptism, important, but let's let's put to the side a little bit. But let me just quickly brush over that. I know that uh, David Whisker showed me a um, a book that I think he's reading creative or something, and it says about Jesus' baptism, and uh, it talks about Jesus was baptized for his sins. I think has it been done now, Ben? I hope so. Something like that should have happened to that book because Jesus wasn't being baptized for his sins; he was being baptized so that he may identify with us. But those who are sinners and deserving of death should die a death. But it's also a foreshadowing of what will come in the Lord Jesus. It's a turning away from the sin. And it's a wholehearted trust in God. That's what Jesus was doing when he was being baptized. There's something else, though, in this little bit of preamble before the main event. Which isn't mentioned actually in the other Gospels. It says that all people baptized, Jesus baptized, and was praying. And this is quite incredible, really, but I'm loving the way God has directed our service uh, so far about the, about the importance of prayer, the Holy Spirit. Okay, it's, it's amazing because Jesus is praying. It isn't mentioned in the other Gospels. So, why does Luke? Why does Luke want to include that or let us know that he was praying? I think it shows something of his humanity, doesn't it? His dependence and trust in God. If you were with God in, in completeness, then, you know, I suppose if you weren't in bodily form, you'd be with God in the heavens, where God is. It shows his humanity. And we've looked through this week, haven't we, how, how Jesus has grown in wisdom, you know, we find Jesus in the temple, and he's asking all sorts of questions about the Old, uh, the Old Testament, or the Old Covenant. And they were amazed at what his answers and his questions, because he was really trying new things for us. And so he's asking, and he's praying now. You see, Jesus has grown in wisdom, and he's come to a point now that he needs to pray about what he knows. You see, Jesus didn't, wasn't born knowing all what was going to happen to him. He was a baby. He had to learn it. And that's why we have this account of him in the temple <coughs> asking questions. But when he was reading the Old Testament, he wasn't just reading about something, somebody else. He was reading about himself. How sobering was it for the boy to be understanding something of his purpose and his position? That's incredible. At a young age, he would know that. Let me start to understand, growing in wisdom as he's been told, who he is and what he's here to do. He was on his knees in prayer. And when, when Luke recalls that Jesus is in prayer, you know something big is going to happen. Happens to a few other events when he's appointed the 12 apostles, when Peter confesses that he is the Christ, at the Transfiguration, in Gethsemane, when he's praying in the garden, and also at the cross, you know something big is going to happen. So what is he praying? 
What is he praying? Well, he said he's praying an understanding of who he is and what he's here to do. I think he's praying his mission. He's praying about God the Father. I see in the scriptures, I hear from you that you want me to do this. He's saying, I expect Jesus is saying, I can't. This is huge. This is too, this is too hard on me. Well, a little later on in, in verse, uh, in chapter 11, uh, I think there's a little clue as to what he may have been praying. He may have been praying. See, he was teaching. This is, so this is after he's telling people, someone said, can you pray with this? And he talks to them the Lord's Prayer. And he goes on and he says this, I tell you, uh, I tell you if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of Him? I think that must be part of Jesus' prayer this morning. Understanding who He was, the task ahead, and knowing that He needs His Father to send the Holy Spirit for Him. And surely that's an example to us all, isn't it? You see, if we're part of this, this commissioning of God to go and proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins, are we surely needing God's Holy Spirit to empower us to tell this message? Because if we do truly preach the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and all that that means, we're going to be rejected. We're teaching a person who people should fear. That's the message we're taking to the nations. And so if we can think we can go through life without asking for the Holy Spirit, then we really haven't got in our minds or in our hearts what it truly means to obey Jesus and follow him. And I do think that the Holy Spirit will come in great power, but we need to be praying for it, just as Jesus' requirements are even praying here. I added on that Jesus may not have been, but he was praying nevertheless. He was praying and I think that he must have been praying for the Holy Spirit because of what we hear and read which comes from it. So that was the precursor to understanding Jesus, who he was and how he was praying. But then it says, the heavens were opened <coughs> and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. So here we have one of two parts here, God uh, communing with his son for the first time in bodily form with Jesus. And the second by declaring. But it says that the Holy Spirit came down like a dove. It didn't say in a dove. So, uh, I don't know, some medical doctors have been picturing doves coming down, which is fine. It's probably too realistic because it wasn't a dove. It was like a dove. But at least Luke wanted to get across that point. So what else could it have been? And it might have been a little bit, but I'm pushing it a little bit to say like a lion come down. But it could well have been, as we know our imagery of Jesus in the Bible, a ferocious lion, ready to devour, powerful, strong. Might have been an eagle, it's another good image, but, or a hawk, a vulture. You know, I think 
I don't think it was very uh, to do with Amish, but it says there's been a little bit passing there from that. I'm sure you're glad to hear that I've been getting a little bit from that. And I don't think any commentators actually agree with another on this. But I would be inclined to actually think that as we get, pic- uh, get the images of the dust from scripture, that we can actually apply this to Jesus in this situation. You see, we know the dove, although he just didn't call it a turtle dove, a pigeon, it was, for, it was a pain of sacrifice. In a way, God was saying, right, sacrificial dove, will be a lamb, will be that sacrifice. But also, yeah, we know that Noah prepared a dove and it brought back an olive branch. The judgment of God had passed and peace had come. And it's been used as a symbol of peace. For many, uh, for many people, not just Christians. And so perhaps we can actually see in this situation that Jesus' mission is not only to be a sacrifice, but he's also a peace bringer. That it may be showing the nature of his ministry. He's not a lion devouring people, but a dove, gentle and peaceful. Perhaps that's how we should be. We are to be imitators of Jesus Christ. We need to know that Jesus is unstoppable, but we don't go around his hammer. We go around his love to take this message to people. But also, there's something else in there. And actually, Jesus comments on it himself. It's, it's in chapter 4, so you're very close to flick over to <laughs> chapter 4, verse um, 18 and 19. And Jesus says this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. That's an immediate comment on what has just happened. Jesus knows that the Father is giving him all that he needs to take this message to the world that needs him. To the world to understand that although he is mighty and powerful and could crush us, he loves us. And that's going to cost. And we know for Jesus Christ that came at the cost of his life. The cost of his relationship which was broken with the Father. Why have you forsaken me? To proclaim the message of of redemption, repentance and forgiveness, to proclaim the good news a lost. And you see, the beginning of chapter 4 as well, how the Holy, uh, Jesus now, full of the Holy Spirit, is tested and taken to, uh, in the wilderness, and tested and tempted by Satan. need for me to be equipped by the Holy Spirit. We do need to be armed in prayer. We are to proclaim this wonderful message of good news of this Christ King who has come for us. You see, when we read those words, you are my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased, we feel like we just want to pat him on the head, don't we? It feels like 
someone had just gone to a parenting thing and said, oh, wow, what, what a son. Oh, no, please. Thank you. Well done. Keep going. You're doing a good job. But the thing is that we're going to have a look a little bit more um, into it because those words aren't just just a veneer kind of word of God, the Father, passing the sheep to farm the head saying, yeah, carry on what you're doing. More weight. In fact, actually, Trish has already read part of she's been doing that her as well as me, because she's read part of uh, of where this this voice has come from. So God has spoken these words, laid these things in Scripture, just to inform us, to enlighten us to who Jesus is. You see, we have, you know, I think Phil last week spoke about uh, roughly around about 400 years of silence that happened. You know, they were wondering where God was. Now, they're still seeing those hearing from God, but, but by secondary means. There's no direct communication with God, or God hasn't communicated with them directly. So here we go. Okay, the waters have receded. Jesus is exposed. John's into the background. And now we have the Lord Jesus in the center of all things, his rightful place. And God the Father breaking the silence and saying, you are my beloved son, who I am well pleased. What words to declare the coming of his son. If you've got your Bibles with you, come with me to um, Psalm 2. Let's go to Psalm 2. And these words come from the Old Testament. And if you remember, if you keep in your mind that Jesus was fully human, had to learn of his mission. And so these words you have to learn and understand it and apply to him. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Amen. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun. Lie prostrate and humble before him, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. We have the voices of the world wanting to burst the bonds, to be separate from the God who created us. And then we have the Lord God our Father speaking and saying, Oh, you fools. He laughs at such nonsense. And he is declaring what he is doing. He is setting his king on Zion. And then you have the voice of 
the king himself. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Before you start thinking, say, No, there's so much you with begotten. You, you might hear some think, well, well, hang on, begotten what? He was, he was made, he was created. It doesn't have that sense. In fact, if you've ever commentary on, in the Bible on this actual star, if you have such comments, what does he But I know that if you go to Acts 13, verse 38 and 39, tend to look at that. Because it comments, it comments about, comments about this Paul in Antioch, speaking in a synagogue, and he's talking about the resurrected Christ. And he's saying about the resurrected Christ, and he says, this is to be in fulfillment of the second psalm, which is just this one. It says, to, uh, the Lord said to me, you're my begotten son, to say, uh, you're my son, to get today I have begotten you. It means a bringing forth of a resurrected king. It's not a begetting, it's not an adoption of Jesus. Jesus is God's uh, son. Always has been, always will be. And we have that declaration of sonship. And then he says, with you, I am well pleased. You see, in all of this, this is a decree. The Lord said, I will tell of this decree. And so you see God making a formal statement, a legal statement, an absolute statement, an authoritative statement to the world and to Jesus that he is who he has read about in the Old Testament. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit on him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not blow upon the earth. And a faintly, faintly burning wick faithfully bring forth justice. I've put my spirit on him. You see why he is putting his spirit on him. He says, because he will bring forth justice. You immediately think in the Western world, don't you, that justice means that uh, a punishment and judgment straight away. You know, it's the same thing, well, I can just or whether they've done it right or wrong, and you should be punished for it. But have a look here. Have a look between these few uh, few comments here. What justice is in this context? He says, I'll put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And this is how he's doing it. He will not cry aloud 
or lift up his voice. He will all make it heard in the street. And a, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faint burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully do justice. It's not quite the justice that we come to immediately think of. And so we need to renew our minds in thinking what it means to bring forth justice, to be anointed by the Spirit for God's mission. What does it mean to make sure that bruised reeds will not uh, break, that faintly burning wicks will not be quenched? Because Jesus' justice <coughs> is to put things right. That is justice. It is not right that we are in the state that we are. It is not right that we get away with the state that we are in. We should be judged. But Jesus is a God who is the God who brings together and heals and, uh, and unites and binds up. He lifts up. That's the justice. That's the nature of the message. This is the good news that Jesus has brought this about. And this is the nature of his mission in which we share. See, our front line is beautiful to hear of people sharing their front line. And we can be like Jesus here. And we can see, in, in light of the mission and calling of which Luke tells us to bring forth this message of repentance, but also justice as well, that we share in Jesus' mission in doing so. But we don't do this on our own. We need to be on our knees praying, praying for an amazing anointing of the Spirit that we may follow Jesus' footsteps because they will be hard. Because if we find them easy, and I know too many times that I do, I know I'm not fulfilling what God has brought me for. He has rescued me out of the world to be with you guys, to be in the Spirit, preaching the Word, both word and deed. He wants to put things right. You can imagine um, Luke thinking, the opposite. This is the Lord Jesus. You just look at just look at my man. Take everything aside and look at who he is. Lord, find this declaration from the heavens saying, This is my Almighty God, the eternal Son, with understanding and learning in all humility about his mission and plan, where God is asking him to step and go. Theophilus, listen, because this is the Lord Jesus that we I want you to be certain of, because you will not follow unless you see the Lord Jesus. And if you don't hear this declaration and understand it, take it in and believe it with all your heart. And when the Lord Jesus asks you in chapter 24, you're going to claim, where do you go? You're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. It's too hard. It's too big. It's beyond us. It's beyond Jesus. We don't even have time for it. We don't really to think that we can do it. We think we can do it. We're probably thinking Unstoppable, scary. But we have the Lord Jesus. 
fallen into history. Recorded for our sake so we can read and understand the Father in first Corinthians. What a time of our that we actually ask, give your love and ask then God for Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this these two verses in Luke. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you reveal to us who Jesus is. We thank you for the Lord Jesus who was obedient, that he recognised at a young age that he was in his father's house, that he was asking questions because he wanted to know who he was in regards to you. Lord Heavenly Father, help us as we search the scriptures, see who Christ is, because we know by your amazing mercy and your amazing grace, you have given to us all that Jesus Christ has won. Through his death and resurrection, you have given that to us. Thank you, Lord. But you've also given us, Heavenly Father, we read of the mission of Jesus to bring forth to the nations, starting in Jerusalem, the wonderful message of the redemption from sin, the forgiveness, the restoration that you offer through the blood of Jesus Christ. Help us to have a mind and a heart big enough to hold that picture in. And Lord, may that bring us to our knees in prayer. Lord Jesus, we want your Holy Spirit to fall on us. We need your Holy Spirit, Heavenly Father, to fall on us. Lord, if we consider the uh, the mission before us, what it means to be on our front lines, to be bold in front of the people that we fear to lose friendships with, for the families that we don't want to split apart from, yet Lord Jesus, we know that people will fear you if you are proclaimed faithfully. But we know that people sit in division. They'd rather forget you. They'd rather put you to the side. But Lord Jesus, we want you in the front of our lives. We know that from you all life is given. We want to follow you, Lord, but we confess our weaknesses. We confess our wandering. And instead of marching, Lord, we just pray that you will equip us in every way that we need, as a church here, as a body together, to show the love of Christ to the world and proclaim that wonderful news of Jesus. We ask in his name. Amen.